Hey guys, Andy T here again uh, with another episode of Recovery Friends Podcast, episode number, I don't even know, I don't, I don't know how many episodes we've done so far. Um, we've done a few. Uh, the catalog is getting up there. I think we got close to 40, I'm not sure. Um, anyways, uh, this episode coming up is uh, my friend, my new friend Sadie. Um, we had known each other uh loosely before this episode and then this conversation cemented the friendship uh so from here on out we are best friends and uh this was two weeks ago and she hasn't returned any of my text messages so i'm just waiting (laughs) i'm waiting for the text message uh return sadie um, but no, jokes aside, it was a great episode. Um, it's taken me a little while to sit down and record this intro. Um, but, uh, here it is. Um, and as you know, the opinions spoken here on this podcast do not reflect the opinions, uh, or views of any 12 step programs or any, um, recovery related entities. Uh, these are the opinions of the guest and the host, um, and that is it. We share our stories in hopes that somebody else can find hope and recover as we did. So uh, without further ado, I give you Sadie. Enjoy. All right. All right. We're recording. Whoa. Yeah. It sounds different now. Yeah. So exactly. It does this weird like robotic. Yeah. But it does. I think it's the whatever filter the guy put on here when he made the template. Okay. But you still kind of have to kick it about two inches away from the mic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and And the robotic thing doesn't come out in the final product. Somehow. Gotcha. It scrubs it out. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I like, <clears throat> I mean, I was, you weren't the first person I asked for like this week because I didn't have anybody. So, but <laughs> I, I thought about asking your brother and I sent him a message and he kind of got back to me. Uh, but, you know, I don't think he, I guess he, I don't know. I thought he's done it before. No, he hasn't. I, I asked know. him to do it like right before I asked you. Oh, yeah. I see. So I'm waiting on a reply from your brother. <laughs> I literally, I was just on the phone with my mom and he's actually in Alabama visiting her right now. And so oh, okay. I thought he had done it. So I was like, tell Brooks I'm on my way to do a podcast with Andy T. Oh, uh, okay. And mom was like, do you know Andy T? <laughs> he was like, yeah. So you guys are from what part of Alabama? South Alabama, Fairhope, Alabama. Which is across the bay from mobile oh okay that's a nice area it is it's very like, nice you know they also have you get they also have uh live oaks yes but they're a little bit different you ever notice that than louisiana yeah they look a little different they look like a little more like i don't know southern <laughs> <laughs> well what you interpret as southern yeah they don't <laughs> Because you grew up with them. But no, they look a little differently. I, I, they surprise me. So it's almost like they're a different species. Maybe they are. Maybe. I don't know. Um, 
So yeah, um, I know a few. Th- so we've met, mm-hmm. we've talked, yes. not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for sure that you're. We have a few things in common. Right? Go. <laughs> well, oh yeah, we're, yeah. We're, <laughs> well, we're alcoholics. <laughs> that's that's one thing. But we're both like, we both like uh, are are or at least I like to think I am really good on the hardwood floors, basketball. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, and we were just talking about how, uh, we both dreamed of being professional. I'm like five foot, I say five foot four, but I'm really five foot three. Yeah. I was never going to make it to the NBA. I really thought I was though. I was that delusional. Oh, that was my plan in sixth grade for sure. (laughs) And you didn't play in high school? Um, so, well, the middle school I went to, like, that was my plan. Like, I love basketball, but they didn't have a girls team. And so then uh, we moved to Houston when I was going into high school. And Houston athletics are just, like, oh. no fucking joke. Yeah. Like, like you a only, 6A school. They're all 6A schools, I imagine. Yeah. You only <laughs> play a sport if you're, like, planning to make it your career, pretty much. Wow. Um, yeah, no, I went to a, a small school. <laughs> So, like, they had no choice but to let me play. (laughs) Like, I thought I was, like, something because I started. But literally, there was 35 people in my class. Wow. Like, the whole class. Yeah. So, like, the uh, pickings were slim. (laughs) In any other school, I probably wouldn't have played, unfortunately. Yeah. So, as soon as I got there, you know, I played with a girl... um, who literally now, um, she and her sister both play for the LA Sparks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. (laughs) So. They loved, they loved, I'm sure they loved your energy. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody had that energy. (laughs) Your heart? They loved your heart. Sure, we'll go with that. (laughs) They loved your heart. I feel like that's what people like loved about me. They were like, oh, that little dude just going hard. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to make it. Yeah, we were lit- like me and my buddy Shelly, we were literally the comedic relief of the team. Mm. We just made stupid video, like inspirational videos and played them for everybody before oh, the game. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we would, uh, before the game, we would get, we would do like a cypher. <laughs> we would do a cypher and like everybody would rap and then it would come to me and I just. <laughs> I would try though. I loved freestyling. I was. <laughs> oh, what? I- I mean, I'm not good at it. Oh, what? I think you just volunteered. <laughs> no, we're not going to freestyle on this podcast. That's another podcast. All that right. might be a whole other podcast. Oh, I'll remember. Wouldn't that? Be, <laughs> that would be kind of cool to like do a podcast where you just let randos come and spit verses. Oh my god! Spit verses like anybody can come on and sp- like on a sway sway in the morning. You ever watch that? No. Like I get caught in, th- in these like like black holes. Of like free radio freestyles, and like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just watch them. I still aspire to that to a degree in, in my head. Anyways, so <laughs> we're four, almost five minutes in, and we were talking about freestyling. <laughs> so, but we're here to hear your story. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, you can go ahead and start if you want, wherever, wherever you feel it's appropriate to start. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So. I'll start at the beginning. Um, I was a middle child. I had an older brother and a younger brother. Um, my mom and my dad uh, divorced when I was 
seven, I think. Yeah. It was a vicious custody battle. And I remember we, we had to like go to court. Um, we had to choose which parent we wanted to live with. Um, and that's such a fucked up position to put a kid in. Yeah. They tried really hard not to, but I think, is that still the the way they do it? They handle it? Um, I mean, we didn't, we didn't actually get to the point. We, we got dressed up and we went to court and I remember being at court all day. We like got to skip school. They bought us nice outfits to wear. Uh Um, I remember my mom and like us kids in like my, two of my dad's sisters like sided with my mom. So we were all on one side of the hallway. And then I remember my dad walking in with two of his other sisters at the other end of the hallway. And it was just like, Oh man, that's hard. Separate, separate. Um, yeah. So, um, me and my brothers chose our mom because she was the most prominent parental figure in our life. Um, and we knew that meant that we would have to move to Louisiana, um, Mm -hmm. because she was marrying our stepdad, um, at the time. Um, so yeah, that was, I just remember that part of my life was just, I just remember crying like every single night. Like that's what I remember most about like seven and eight years old. It's every night when my mom tucked me in, I would just like cry because I didn't want to move or I didn't want them to get divorced or I didn't want her to get married. Like Mm -hmm. all those things just, I guess were just like painful for me. Yeah. Um, but I remember moving to Louisiana and we went to like small private schools. We moved in with, um, my stepdad and his two daughters. We had two, uh, older stepsisters. Um, and I just remember like blending a family, like my stepsisters and my mom fought all the time. Mm. Um, how old were they? One of them, uh, Amanda had, just graduated high school. So she was going to college the year we moved in. Um, so she was very much like, I don't care. Like it doesn't like, I don't care what's yeah. going on. Like it doesn't affect me. Um, and then Jenny was a uh, soft uh, going into her junior year of high school. Um, so I thought she was like the cool older sister and I like wanted to be cool to her, I guess. Like I just wanted to yeah. do anything she was doing. Um, and, we often would like gang up on my brother Brooks and uh, Andrew was young. And um, I just remember there's, there's just always a riff in our family. Um, you know, it was always so like sighted, I remember. And like, I didn't know what it was then. I know now like being in recovery, like there, I found a word for it. It's like emotional abuse is what it was. Mm-hmm. It was just so fucked up. Um, yeah, it just made you feel like, you know, you were like always on guard. You were always aware of like what somebody else was thinking about you or like, you know, you always had to be, um, you always had to be on somebody's team or else you were going to get beat the fuck up emotionally. You were going to be the target of all the jokes and. Oh yeah. You don't want that. Yeah. No. (laughs) Um, that was the thing in that family. Like everybody. That's that's an interesting dynamic though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, uh, I'm trying to think, I guess, um, I know in middle school is when I started, uh, stealing liquor from my parents' liquor cabinet. Um, we would, I'd pour it in mason jar and hide it in my t-shirt drawer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I would take little sips of it at night. I never really like, you know, got the full full effect of it. Um, what part of Louisiana was this? Lafayette, Louisiana. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I knew that. <laughs> um, I think I knew that. <laughs> yeah. So we were there five years and like overall, like I did really well. You know, I found my niche. I found my group of friends. I played sports like, you know, athletics occupied my life. Um, like Lafayette proper? Like Broussard is the neighborhood okay. we were in. And we went to a school that was in Cade, Louisiana, which is that's lit- like small town, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kind of from that area. too. Oh, really? Where are you from? Well, not necessarily Lafayette, but more towards the Lake Charles area, okay. like north of Lake Charles. That's where we, that's where I went to high school. That's where we moved when I was a kid. Gotcha. And then I lived in Lafayette for a couple of years, too. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I also went to school in New Iberia. Yeah. And my sister lives in Broussard now. Okay. Or Youngsville. I can't t- know. I never know exactly. Yeah, I don't She's either. She's like right on the edge. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were there for five years. Um and then uh, my stepdad's job transferred. And mm. so we found out we'd be moving to Houston, which was, again, just like this, like, uprooting, you know, and like, like moving to Lafayette, we at least knew like my stepdad and our stepsisters and they were familiar with the area. But we all moved to Houston. We didn't know anything. Like, I don't even think I'd been to Houston before we found out we were moving there. Um, so I went from this little private school of like, like 80 kids in my grade mm-hmm. um, to over a thousand in my grade. Like this, like well, that's like <laughs> insane. Like there was a thousand people in the town I grew up in. Yeah. Like literally. <laughs> yeah. The school was like, I don't know. I just remember thinking at the time, like it was like a shopping mall. Like that must've been insane. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I remember volleyball tryouts were brutal for that school. I made the team. Um, I also made the basketball team. And so that's literally was my life freshman year. Like I didn't make friends outside of athletics. Like it consumed my life, you know? Um, and then sophomore year, I didn't make my volleyball team and I didn't want to play basketball cause it was just, it was so brutal. Basketball was, yeah. um, and not making my volleyball team. I remember was just like, it was terrible. This was, um, you know, another big thing in my life that I couldn't control, I guess, or I did, felt like I didn't have control over it. Um, cause you know, like I really, I tried my best and I didn't succeed and it was just like this fucking blow. And so, um, I ended up playing club volleyball, um, at least that year. Cause I was planning to try out again, junior year, you know? Um, but I just remember my sophomore year, I started hanging out with with Brooks a lot. Brooks was a senior in high school, my older brother. We went to the same school. We never really got along um, growing up. Um, but then I started having to, like, ride with him to school because he could drive, and he would drive us to school in the morning. And I remember, like, kind of, like, liking his music, which was super weird, like, I don't even fucking know, like ambient techno, like head automatica oh. and the faint and like all this weird shit that I really started to like actually like. And then, um, I guess I just had more time on my hands. And so, um, I started hanging out with him and his friends. And, um, uh, I remember one night he came in my room and he was just like, have you ever done cocaine? And I was like, no. And he was like, do you want to? And it took me like, he kept like, he would, 
telling me all about it and it sounded so cool. And so like two hours after he asked me, first asked me about it, I was like, all right, sure. So we went in his room and we did it. It was like probably like 10 o'clock on a school night. And I just remember like sitting in his bed, like we were just talking and talking. I felt so like connected to him, like Uh understood, you know? And I remember thinking like this, why is everybody making such a big deal about this? Like this is amazing. Why doesn't everybody (laughs) want to feel like this? And like, I could like go downstairs and have a conversation with my mom right now and like feel good. Did you though? (laughs) That would have been a mistake. (laughs) I know. That was like the first thing Brooks was like, no. You're staying right uh, here. That's <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I just remember like that, that became like our thing, you know, he, he worked at like Papa John's and he'd be getting a paycheck and he was like, Sadie, I'm going to grab an eight ball. Do you want anything? And I was like, Can I, like, he would just let me like buy lines off his eight ball. And so we'd sit up all night on Friday night, Saturday night. Yeah, bonding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My therapist told me later that that was called trauma bonding. Oh, really? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I do remember feeling very close to him, very, like, protected and understood. And Yeah. Um, yeah, and so... Um, so, question. When, yeah. Just to get a reference of, like, what time period it is, like, what... How old am I? Yeah. 14, 15. At this time. Yeah. But like, what's the... Oh, the year? Yeah. Um, 2004, 2005. Okay. So you're a 90s baby. Mm-hmm. Like literally 90. 90. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's good to know because I'm always like wanting to imagine like what music is in the back. Oh, what, yeah, yeah. what clothes you guys are wearing. <laughs> what? Emo was very much in. Yeah. I remember I got Converse and my mom was like, you're not wearing these. These are bad. <laughs> really? They're bad. They really are bad, though, because they'll no they arch will support. ruin your feet and your knees. Like if I wear I love Converse and when I wear them, they just like I, if I have to stand for a long time, like I'm always like on my heels <laughs> the way I stand and it kills me. Yeah. And so I, it was at that time that um, Brooks came out to me as gay and that was the first time like I had ever even thought about sexuality really. Like I had boyfriends in middle school, but that's just because like I'd always growing up believing like that was what I was supposed to do, I guess. Um, and it, I, it honestly, like I'd never seen a lesbian portrayed in like a television or movie or anything. And it, I just, I honestly had no, like I'd never even thought about it until sitting up at night talking to my brother and he, he came out to me and he was like, you've never thought about being with a woman. And I was like, well, uh, now I have. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, it was also at that age that I got my first girlfriend in Houston and that just, you know, between the cocaine and just like expanding. Um, I mean, I feel like, you know, it, it, it just, it expanded so much for me. Like I had always just done what I was told and I lived in this bubble that my parents, you know, put you in as a child, you know? Mm. And, um, and my world just opened the fuck up. Like, I, you know, all these questions, like I just questioned everything like religion and, um, 
sexual orientation and everything. And were your parents religious? Um, we grew up going to a Methodist church. Um, it was never like super strict. I remember I hated going to church, but mainly because it was just this boring thing that I didn't want to go to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then I guess I should start speeding things up. Oh yeah. Let me see where we're at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, you're 17 minutes in. Let's see. This is all on me because I, I would be like, yeah, tell me more about your converse. <laughs> Aren't they horrible? <laughs> but I think that's kind of like what I like. I think makes the, the podcast cool is that it's conversational. Yeah. But we 17. must stay on task too. Noted. Okay. <laughs> so um, what ended up happening in Houston, um, Brooks... My my parents went out of town for my stepsister's law school graduation, right? My mom didn't trust me and Brooks at the time, so she had her friend from college, um, Celinda, and Celinda's daughter, Bree, come stay with us. We'd never met these people before, but my mom trusted them more than us, so... So did your mom know that you guys were fucking up, or she just suspected, she, or...? I think she was... I think she knew Brooks was doing drugs. And Brooke hadn't come out... I guess we're not telling Brooks' story, but yeah, yeah, I don't know about all that. Um, but I know, um, yeah, my mom just, I don't know if she was in denial or if, you know, like, what do you do when you know your kids are doing drugs? Yeah, like, that's just got to be the most, like, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it's so weird how that's a parent's like. A lot of parents is like Worst. immediate like reaction to shit like that is always deny it, even when it's clear. Right. You know, even right. when like you, you maybe even tell them, you know. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, because what do you do from there? Like anything you do is going to be like this big drastic thing. It's like you're going to shine a light on it and then everybody's going to know. Yeah. And, and then it seems like almost like if you try to do something about it, it's almost does the opposite has the opposite yeah. effect especially too. especially at that time like i can imagine that's what she was feeling because we were just in constant conflict with her like it was just headbutt after headbutt like n- agreed on nothing mm. um so they were out of town Celinda and brie came to stay with us it took no time at all for me and Bree to discover that we both liked cocaine. And I was like, Oh, my brother gets it for me. Like <laughs> we should call him and tell him like Bree was Brooks's age at the time. They were both, um, Bree was 18. Brooks was a week before he turned 18. He was still 17. Um, so I called Brooks at work. I was like, Bree's actually, Bree and Celinda are actually really cool. And they're here with me now. And, uh, me and Bree want you to go pick up an eight ball and bring it home. And so, <laughs> Um, he picked up a couple of evils and brought them home and we sat up all night doing blow with Brie. And, um, I remember going to bed at like eight o'clock and Brooks was like, um, I'm going to, I'm going to stay up and shower. I've got to go into work at 10. So I'm just going to power through. And the next thing I know, um, I had fallen asleep and then Brie ran in and woke me up and was like, say, say, get up. Your brother's having a seizure. And like, I ran to the the top of the foyer and I looked down and he was like laying on his back and um in the computer room um and like the chair the chair slipped over and the phone's on the ground and he's just flopping around like a fucking fish and so Linda's on the ground like with her hands like 
not holding him down, but like, you know, trying to keep him safe. And she just looks like terror stricken. And she looks at me and she's like, call 911. So, um, he had overdosed. Uh, he survived, obviously. Mm. Um, wow. But it was definitely a turning point, um, you know, especially, you know, speaking like from perspective of being in recovery now. Like that was one of those times where I just remember both of us were like, that's it. Line drawn, like yeah. not doing it anymore. Um, and I remember us having that conversation and then, like, a, you know, a couple of weeks after that, um, my mom and I actually moved to Alabama. My mom's like, you're too close to all this drugs in Houston. Like, you need to go to Alabama. Plus, my grandmother was there. Um, and uh, my grandmother needed started needing more and more help. And so my little brother didn't want to move because he had made friends in Houston. So he stayed with my stepdad. And uh, my mom and I moved back to Fairhope. And um, Brooks had plans to go to college. Um, I remember as soon as we got to Fairhope, I mean, it took us no time at all to get a job and find drugs <laughs> again. So um, that is what that summer consisted of. A lot of ecstasy, a lot of cocaine. Was the cocaine better in Houston than in Fairhope? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, and then I, I remember, you know, it was like probably after that summer, Brooks didn't end up going to college then. And that was really, I feel like when his addiction took off because he would, he turned into that addict that just like disappeared. Like I remember being in high school, my junior and senior year. And like, my mom would be like, have you heard anything? Because mm. it was always me. Like I was always the one that would know where he is or, you know, the last place that he was. And. Um, you know, there'd be like three months at a time where I remember my mom and like one of Brooks's, um, good friends from Houston that my mom didn't really like or approve of, but I remember them like communicating together, like working together, being like, we don't know where he is. Like, should we file a missing persons report? And so, um, that was my idea of addiction. Like, I remember thinking like my brother's an addict. This is what it is. Yeah. And I also remember seeing, you know, um, Intervention on A&E. That show was really oh popular God. at that time. Fuck that show. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't watch it. I used to get so, it was one of those, it was like, it was shining a mirror type thing. Yeah, yeah I bet. So when I'd watch it, I would just get full of anxiety. Mm -hmm. It was the word, I hated watching that show. Now I kind of mm -hmm. like watching it, but like, I still... When I when I see like the the, the happy endings, I'm mm -hmm. always like, I don't how know. long is it gonna last? <laughs> yeah. Is there gonna be like yeah, a like little black? Yeah, <laughs> I'm so negative about that. One show month too. after filming this, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really sad. But yeah, that's yeah. that's how it goes. Um, and so yeah, you know, that that was my idea of the addict of addiction. You know, like disappearing, like really being mean to everybody that loves you. Um, and, um, and so I, um, you know, I continued to do drugs, um, but I guess it was just, I was able to manage it for a long time. Um, I ended up going to college, didn't really want to, but it was just like, that was just the next thing to do, I guess. Um, all my friends did. So, um, after my freshman year of college, 
Well, freshman year of college, I guess that's when I remember a lot of things changing for me, like emotionally, like I suddenly had more feelings I had to deal with, I guess. And I definitely sure as shit didn't know how to. Um, What do you think about college did that? I don't know if it, I honestly don't know if it was college or if it was just me, like age wise. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I really, I don't, I don't know. Um, I do know I, I had a relationship with a a girl I was in high school with, um, when I went to college and that was, um, a big security for me, I guess. And so when that ended, Mm -hmm. um, she ended up breaking up with me because like people were finding out or it, whatever. Um, And it was just like, that was the first thing in a long time that I just had no control over. Mm. You know, it was like my parents divorced or not making the volleyball team. Like that was the next time where it was just like, how do I deal with this? Yeah, And then this time you actually had some, that thing to lean on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I remember like my first like devastating breakup and I I always think of that time in my life as like, one of the one of the points where it it got significantly worse because I I leaned on it so heavily that mm-hmm. it just became something that I did from there on out, you know. Yeah, no, that's it. Like exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I knew what cocaine was and how it made me feel. Um, Adderall is something that I had started doing pretty much regularly. Um, I just there was everybody at school fucking had Adderall and it made me feel great mm-hmm. and it made me feel productive and it made me able to focus on things like zero in on something, you know, so I didn't have to think about the bad shit that was going on. Um, also found Oxycontin, which was fucking fantastic. Um, really loved that. Um, meanwhile, I'm paying for all of this with, you know, my parents' credit card. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so let's see. Sophomore year, that's pretty much what I do. Um, I get, uh, I get mono and I stay in bed for like, four months I also start antidepressants for the first time but and I'm also doing a shit ton of drugs and alcohol so um I ended up going cold turkey off the antidepressants I failed a few classes second semester sophomore year and I was just like you know what fuck this like I had done some modeling my senior year of high school and I don't know if it was I guess I was very resentful at um the south you know, and the people in the South and where I was, and I just didn't want to be there anymore. And so I felt like I was going to do something better and I was going to model and I was going to move away. And, um, and so, I mean, that's what I did. Like I very much set my mind to it. Um, I had a lot of Adderall to keep me motivated. Cool. (coughs) Excuse me. And, um, so I, I, I did. I, um, I moved to New York. Um, I found like a, I got a manager. Um, I built a portfolio. I signed with an agency in New York. I spent a season in New York. I did a commercial and, um, like an on-camera Puma commercial. And I loved being on camera a lot more. Um, it was 
so much more fun commercial acting to me. And so I was like, I want to do more of this. And uh, my manager at the time was in L.A. and he was like, well, then you need to come out here. So um, I went back home to um, pack up my stuff and move to L.A. And while I was home, um, I was there for a couple months. I I had a, lo- a job as a lifeguard, so I just picked up a few months to save up some more money that way. And um, while I was home, I had tra- Brooks was there. Um, I don't really know what he was doing, but I hit him up and I was like, do you know where I can get some blow? Because I couldn't find any Adderall. And he was like, I don't know where you can get blow, but if you go buy me Sudafed, I can get you something a lot better. And I was like, okay, easy peasy. <laughs> so I go to the pharmacy and I pick up Sudafed and I go meet up with him. And um, that was my first experience with meth. And it was wild. Like, yeah. it was just Adderall times a thousand. Like, mm. um the euphoria, the speed, like it was just, it was, I loved it. Um, so I went real crazy, real fast on that. Um, I remember it only took like a week or two for me to start feeling like there were bugs under my skin. Mm. And, um, yeah, well the thing about that is it like it, it, you go on like day, days and days of like no sleep no sleep no food and a shit ton of like battery acid or whatever the fuck you're putting in your body so yeah um do they put battery acid in it um i do remember my brother was friends with a cook and we would drive out to like some boondock i don't fucking know um mississippi out in the boonies and this cook i remember we would bring in like certain <laughs> ingredients and he'd be like, they'd be up sitting out and he'd be like, all right, you can't watch this part. And so I'd have to like go oh. wait outside while they cooked. I don't know. And you brought him batteries. Um, like, I just, heard, batteries. I do remember. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> or like he had to like peel battery, mm. like the coating off the battery. Yeah. I don't fucking know. I could be so, but there's well, I don't like, know. there's probably tons of different <laughs> recipes out there just floating around. Yeah. This yeah. was like shake or whatever. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so Brooks and I, Brooks was my meth hookup. Um, I ran myself into the ground real quick and right at the end, you know, before I really started to like, like my mom was freaked out. I was telling her, you know, I had like this. This is before you went to L.A.? Before I went to L.A. Okay. Um, so you, but you, okay. I, I got real crazy. And then I uh, like had a brief moment of clarity. And I was like, people are catching on. I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I <laughs> and, gotta, and what were you telling your mom again? Um, well, That I was like sending my mom like pictures of like sores on my skin being like, you don't see the worm. Like, oh, my God. Fucking crazy oh shit. Gosh, she must have been tripping for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bless her heart. She tried so hard to be in my corner, but I made it so hard. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I ended up moving to L.A., um, had a brief. So, like, right when I got there, I had no Adderall. I had no meth. And this is what I had for the last few years. So I went, I sunk into a real hard depression real fast. I had heard about bath salts. So I found some. Yeah. Again terrible fucking idea terrible <laughs> idea so like i usually could buy those at head shops yeah that's what i did yeah yeah i remember the first time i, found, I got them at a head shop i was like this is legal 
yeah i didn't do it for long it was right before i got sober i was like staying at my sister's and like pretending that i was going out looking for jobs and i'd take her the gas money she'd give me and i'd buy beer and then i'd go to the head shop and get these little baggies yeah <laughs> it, it was crystal yeah. meth that's what yeah. it was it felt yeah. like yeah uh yeah so that was a terrible idea i ended up um eventually how much time do i have oh let's see okay i know okay you still got it okay you can wrap you can, you can. okay like i'm saying like look you can technically go up to 59 minutes okay but we don't necessarily yeah we don't need that, that much so um but i will say also my favorite episodes are the long ones i can just put on and listen to okay this is all for me so <laughs> <laughs> all right so um let's see so i ended up moving into my own place in la i was there for a year and the first year was absolute hell i hung on by the skin of my teeth and i think my mom saw that i was trying so hard to make it work she was like i'm gonna fly out there and help you look for a place and so when she came out, my brother had actually like sobered up for a few weeks and was like at her house and he was like looking for the next thing to do with his life. And he was like, Oh, I'll move out there with Sadie. And I was like, instantly, I was like, no, fuck no. Like yeah. this is a terrible fucking idea. Like this is my dream. Yeah. Don't take this away from me. <laughs> do you um, like, look, and, and not to like, I'm sure you've thought of this, but like, you, like the fact that like he introduced you to Coke. He introduced you to meth. Did you ever like carry a resentment about that? Um, honestly, no, I, I don't, I don't know why. I guess, I mean, especially, you know, getting in recovery, it's like, I know all of those things were my decision. And mm. I know that even if he hadn't, like m maybe it would have taken me a little longer to find it, but I believe I would have yeah. like, I still sought the same, like that was my coping mechanism and I was just looking for whatever made me feel good. Yeah. Um, or whatever made me not feel. Um, so he ended up moving to LA with me. <laughs> um, and I mean, as soon as he got there, he relapsed and, um, I remember, you know, having to lock my food in a suitcase and, um, I don't, I also had, I had gone to a doctor and I got an Adderall prescription. So I had legal meth at the time. Um, and so I do remember asking him for it once while he was there and I stayed up all night doing meth with him. And then I got really, really resentful at him eating all of my food and bringing homeless men into our apartment. And, um, I remember we, we just, I remember the last thing I said to him was it would be so much easier if you were just dead already. And he left and I didn't see him for like another month. And then I remember my mom calling me. I was at a shoot out of town in Big Bear. And my mom called me and she was like, I just heard from Brooks. He's out of hospital. Um, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I was worried about my computer and stuff like mm -hmm. that at my apartment. And she was like, I'll call the landlord and get him to change the locks. And so, um, I definitely remember Brooks and I's relationship had shifted at that point. You know, it was like, um, I didn't have his back anymore. Um, and, and I think he went out for a while after that. And so I'm, I managed for a while, um, in LA with Adderall and weed. It was not, 
it was, it was a fun time. Like I had a bunch of great experiences, but it was not easy. I was living under constant financial stress. Like that was on my mind every day. Like I was barely eating cause I literally couldn't afford food. Um, my Adderall prescription came first before everything. Um, I had met this guy, a really toxic guy. Um, we'll call him Ken. <laughs> That's his name. Ken. <laughs> um, and uh, we decided to do, he really talked me into like pursuing a music career. Um, he, I'm honestly, like when it comes down to it, like he's, he's a fucking predator. Um, he's a narcissist and um, I was duped. And that was um, a really difficult, like two and a half, three years of my life. Um, you know, I, I just feel like, like I was like brainwashed almost like working with this guy. Um, I just don't even know like the girl that I was during that time. Like, it's just so weird to think about. Um, and let's see, during that time I turned or towards the end of it, I had turned 26 and, um, I fell off my parents' insurance. So that meant no more Adderall. And because we were doing music, it was a great, um, it was a great excuse to drink all the time. So like I would carry around a bottle of Jack in my purse, um, regularly. I always had a flask on me. Um, and then I just realized like flasks are a fucking joke because you can't even get a buzz with a flask. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so then it was just water bottles and bottles. Um, and I fell off my parents' insurance and I lost my Adderall prescription. And, you know, I remembered the next fe- what the next best thing was. And um, Ken at the time was friend with um, this guy, Chris, who was like notorious for meth in Hollywood. And, um, and so I just went to Chris and I was like, I need Adderall. And he was like, okay, well, uh, Adderall's really expensive and really hard to find. And I was like, great, I don't care. Do you have meth? Like, I just went r- straight there. And, um, yeah. And so I just started doing meth. And, you know, I tried so hard to keep my shit together, but it's impossible to do on that drug. Um, and, and, you know, while I was doing that, I was just more and more like resentful at Ken and the position I was in. And I felt like my life had completely fallen apart and, you know, I'd worked so hard to achieve, um, success and follow my dreams out there. Like I'd sacrificed so much. And it was just like, I remember telling one of my buddies out there, like, he was like, why don't you just go home? Like, if you're this, like, you know, like I looked terrible, like I wasn't eating, you know, hair falling out, like no color in my skin. Like nobody knew exactly what was going on. Like the only person that knew I was doing meth is the people I was buying it from. Um, and he was like, why don't you just go home? And I was like, I'd rather kill myself than go home. Like going home is not a fucking option. Mm. Um, I don't know why it just felt like such a failure just go home yeah Um, there's a lot of people that go out to hollywood that feel like that you know yeah i mean most people like the statistic is like three or four months i think people make it out there that's so wild i was there for six years 
Um, and then I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, it's a long way away from home too. So, um, so eventually I found, um, I was at Ken's work. I mean, this is like, this is the story. I was at Ken's one night working and I found a flash drive in his bathroom and a drawer in his bathroom. It was a 64 gigabyte flash drive. And I was like, holy shit. Like, this is a lot of storage. Like, this guy has, like, fucking external hard drives and flash drives laying all over his fucking house. I was always over there because he had tons of instruments, and that's where we wrote and recorded music. And um, his home was really close to my apartment. It was, like, right at the Hollywood foothills. Um, It was just a really nice place um, to be until it wasn't. And... um, I found this flash drive and um, and so I took it because I was like, every time we go to a recording studio, like I'm the only one that has an external hard drive. So if I didn't bring something, like we wouldn't have our fucking material to take home with us. So I took it and um, I left. He was at the gym and I left. And when he got home, he was like, hey, I just got home. You're coming over to work later. And I was like, yeah, I'll be over later tonight. Um, And then he called me and he was like, hey, you haven't seen this flash drive, right? And I was like, I thought like, oh my God, that's so weird that you noticed that right away. So I was like, I wasn't going to be like, yeah, I stole it. Um, (laughs) So I was like, no. And so as soon as I got off the phone with him, like he drilled me about it a little more. As soon as I got off the phone with him, I plugged it in and it's got like, Every, like, every fucking scantily clad photo, like, I've ever taken, um, like, stuff that's not even on the internet. Um, same thing with this girl that lived in his house before me. I never lived in his house, but he wanted me to, like, begged me to, pressured me to. Um, but Kenzie lived in his house um, whenever I met him. And everything of Kenzie, and then there were girls that had lived in his house, like, young pretty girls that lived in his house before Kenzie stuff of them too and then there was another like untitled folder that was just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of images of child pornography and so I found Mm. that and I was just like I mean I just I fucking imploded on myself like it was just like everything everything had come to a head um I remember Chris my the guy, one of the guys I was buying drugs from had asked me about points one night and I said, no. And then I just called Chris and I was like, do you have any needles? And so that was the first time I started IVing and totally different high. Um, amazing, just fucking rush. And, um, and so I was, I mean, I had only, but I was so fucking paranoid about this flash drive now because he was looking for it. And, uh, and so, um, lost my train of thought. You were paranoid about the flash drive. Yeah. And so my paranoia was really just like, I was shooting up and I was so fucking paranoid and I literally, I got, that's where my, that's where my addiction left me. I remember it was just like, I got to the point where I was literally going to my friend's house just so I can be like, he had like one of these like 10 pound bags of rice from Costco or something. And I would go over there to steal his Adderall, to steal his weed, to steal any loose cash he had around and to be like, Hey, can I have like three cups of rice? 
and that would last me, you know, a few days. Like that's the only thing I'd eat or I would eat like McDonald's ketchup packets <laughs> on like a butt of bread that I had left. Wow. Um, but it was mostly rice and noodles. Like that was, that was like, I had literally eaten everything in my, like that my I had mind. that was edible. Um, there was nothing in my apartment except for trash, just trash everywhere. Um, you know, paraphernalia everywhere. It was just like, I don't know what it is, but it's just like in that end stage of your addiction, you just like, don't give a fuck. You just give up. Like the only thing that matters is getting high. Like, and it is such a painful place to be in, to be that much of a slave, like to only be able to think about that. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it all ended, um, one night when I thought Kenny was coming to my apartment to kill me, and um, I called the LAPD like nine times, like back to back, because every time they'd answer, I thought like Kenny had in intercepted the phone call or yeah. whatever, and so I'd be like, help, help, come help me, and then I'd be like, wait a minute, this is an I'm on one and I'd hang up and I'd call back. And so I ended up having like nine LAPD officers at my door at three, not at my door, at the front of my complex. All from a different call? I guess so. I mean, they sent like, there was like literally seven officers yeah. there. Um, well, I mean, nine calls, they're probably like, she's definitely in trouble. <laughs> she's right? Like, <laughs> Something's definitely going Send on. Send the SWAT team. <laughs> so, um... No, it actually barricaded myself in my apartment, um, right? Because shadow people were outside the windows and everything, and um, and I and I opened the window in my bathroom. I had locked myself and my cat in my bathroom and screamed for help out into the um, breezeway of my apartment complex. And so, like, all of my neighbors woke up and came running to my door, and I was like hold on, let me move the barricade. <laughs> and I opened the door and I will never fucking forget that feeling. Like it was just like a glitch of clarity, you know? Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't real. Like, what did I just fucking do? But it was so like, I was, I mean, I had eaten the rest of my meth because I thought, because I had like called 911 or I knew I was going to have to call 911. I don't know. You know, psychosis, man. I mean, I was just, I was fucking in it. Wow. And uh, so the cops came and I answered the door with a knife and my neighbors saw me like strung the fuck out, you know, blood and like track marks all over my arms. And um, I remember one of the cops asked me if I needed to go to the hospital and I said, no, I need to go to bed. And I walked right through them and shut the door behind me and um, passed the fuck out. And I'll never forget waking up the next morning, that feeling of like, please let this fucking be a nightmare, please. Oh, man. And realize, like looking at my phone and seeing like 25 missed calls from my mom and realizing it's not, you know. Um, so my brother... Brooks at the time had like three or four years, I think. And, um, you know, my mom would call me crying and I had three or four years sober. Yeah. And, uh, my mom would call me crying and I just, I remember feeling so much hate and resentment 
towards her for that being like why the like don't make me feel any worse than I already fucking feel and I would like hang up on her and then Brooks called me and I don't know why but I answered Uh, I hadn't talked to him god knows how long and he didn't even say anything like I answered and he like was just dying laughing on the other end of the phone (laughs) he was like you fucking idiot you called the cops who the fuck did you think was in there with you you know and um I mean, we literally sat on the phone for about three hours sharing psychosis stories. Oh, man. And that was the first. That was the. God damn. That's crazy. That's awesome. That was the first time I felt like a human, you know? Are you crying? You little bit. That's weird. I don't know. It's just, it's just pretty powerful stuff, I think. Like, just yeah. him calling, like, the levity that, like, another addict or alcoholic brings to the situation and the ability to relate. For real. And, like, that is, like, so incredible. Yeah. It was, and, you know, that was the first time, like, you know, we had this rocky relationship, and it it wasn't healed right then and there, but, you know, like, I needed him, and he was there. So it's like, I guess that's why you asked about, you know, he introduced me to cocaine and meth, but he also introduced me to recovery. Awesome. Yeah. You're going to make me cry. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. You know, like, I forget when I do these things and like, I'm like, yeah, we're just doing a recovery podcast. It's all good. But it's like, you're hearing somebody's like most powerful, most like emotional, darkest moments. Great. You know, it's just, it's anyways, that's why we do this. I'm going to take a break (laughs) and we'll be right back. recording again there we are all right cool so we dried our eyes <laughs> <laughs> we composed ourselves i did <laughs> you were fine <laughs> i got myself together yeah uh, and so now so this is so you and brooke have this conversation mm-hmm. and then what so basically um so what happened was i had this job um doing surveillance which was like a random odd job um that did no good to my paranoia at all (laughs) um and the insanity just to talk about the insanity of the disease you know i was riding around in cars with dea like ex-dea agents and current um off-duty um officers in in around la with meth in my sock and we'd pull into um you know, a fast food place and I'd run in the bathroom and shoot up like fuck. (laughs) Um, so yeah. So, um, I talked to Brooks and what happened was from that job, this again, I had only had this job for a period of like two or three weeks and I made a good amount of money. All of that money went to drugs. Um, and so I wasn't coming home until I had a better reason, right? So I talked to Brooks and, um, you know, I related to somebody. I felt like a human. Um, uh, and and um, I finished out. I, I kept going to work for the last couple of weeks. And um, I stopped talking to Kenny after that night. There was, I, I mean, I blocked him on everything. Um, I was so fearful of him. Um, 
and still very paranoid. Um, you know, I believed that my, my computer and, um, my, my phone, everything was hacked. Um, and, uh, eventually I ran out of money and Brooks talked me into, not talked me into, he presented me with the idea, you know, he had talked to my mom and she was like, I'll fly you home, come home for Thanksgiving. Like they just wanted to get their hands on me. You know, they just wanted me in front of them. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, he said, you know, why don't you come home for Thanksgiving, you know, eat some food. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and we'll, and we'll talk like, you know, you don't have to go to rehab, but I can tell you about you know, where I went, um, you know, mom said she'll send you back to LA if you want to go back after Thanksgiving. And so it felt really good to have that, um, feel like, like I was in control still, you know, like that's him knowing, like, don't, (laughs) don't take those choices away from her. She will revolt. Um, so I still had control, right? So, so I made the decision. I said, yeah, I'll go home. If you bring my cat home, with me and so my mom was like i don't fucking care we'll fly julio home in your lap let's do it so um i flew home with julio brooks brooks picked me up from the airport and i'll i'll never forget um you know that that experience that first like 24 48 hours with him just painted the picture like that's for the first time i was able to see like how how simple my wants and my needs in life really were. Like I had made them, like I needed to be famous. I needed a successful acting career. Like I needed all of these things. And it was just like trying to get all these things that were so far out of reach, you know? Um, you just have to start reaching for what's in front of you. And and that's what Brooks had done in recovery. And so like he picked me up in, in a car. He had his own car. Um, when he came to LA, he lost his car. He lost his wallet. Um, he was robbed. He had, he had nothing when he left LA, he had nothing. Mm. So him having three years sober, he picked me up in his car. He took me to his apartment. He lived in a cute little loft uptown. I remember thinking, I, think I remember it. Cause I, I on Britannia. Yeah. 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 Like it, it was little circle stairs yeah the spiral stairs up to his bed i was like this is so fucking cute he had a dog like somebody had died and left him their dog Mm -hmm. like somebody had met him loved him trusted him enough in three years to leave him their dog like that i was like who is this new person i've never met before (laughs) that's my brother what um he cooked me dinner a healthy dinner like Brussels sprouts and like pork loin and shit. I was like, this is delicious. When did you learn to do this? I remember locking my food in my suitcase so you wouldn't eat it. Um, he was like, oh, my home group's meeting tonight. And he had so much confidence in himself and his, what, his apartment and everything. Like He was like, I'm not letting you stay here, so you have to come with me. Like He just told me what to do. Yeah. Like Nobody done that to me in a long time and I was just like oh like I didn't want to but I didn't have a choice so I went with him to his home group and he was setting him boundaries with you yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's exactly what it was 
So um, that was my first AA meeting. I'd never been to an AA meeting before. Mm. And um, it was his home group. And so we had to go early to help set up and make coffee and put out cookies. And I got to meet all of his friends in his home group. And they were all like really fucking funny. And they were all like cutting up and goofing off. And they were like cool. You know, they weren't like weird old AA guy. Yeah. (laughs) Like they were cool, normal people that I was like, Oh my God, I want friends like this. Um, everybody was super fucking nice to me. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I remember going back to his apartment, taking a shower and shooting up in his bathroom because that's what you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I remember feeling really fucking bad about it, but I couldn't not do it. Um, And so, uh, so then my mom came, uh, drove to New Orleans to pick me up the next day. Um, and I will never forget the look on her face when she saw me. It was just like, sorry. Okay. It was like, she didn't recognize me. Like. Like she didn't know who I was standing in front of her. And and I could tell she was trying so hard not to show it. Because mm-hmm. um, I, remember, I remember what I looked like when I got off that plane, man. I was so fucking thin and just like beat the fuck down. Mm. I was going to mention that. <laughs> I was going to say like... like Cause you're you're a slim lady, and I bet that like on meth, it's like cause I like, was skeletal. And the thing is, like, you come off meth, you don't th- realize what you look like. It really, like, how bad it actually looks. Yeah, you know, because it's just you look dead. Yeah, like your skin is like has like a black tint to it because there's just no color in oh. it. Um, so she picked me up and um. She drove me home and Julio was in my lap. And I remember that whole like two and a half hours home. We were driving home at night. And I could not stop crying. Like I just cried for like two and a half hours straight, like silent, like really like choking on it, just trying to swallow it down. Um, Like that painful back of your throat cry. Um. Because I was just like, you know, it was really starting to hit me. Like, I was nothing. Like, I had nothing to show for the rest, I mean, all of my life up until that point. And um, and my mom was real concerned. You know, she definitely thought I had um, needed, like, a dual diagnosis. Like, maybe I was bipolar because she just never seen this behavior in me. Like, she just couldn't wrap her mind around it. Um. And I think, you know, around that point, like, seeing her, I just didn't want to disappoint her any further. And so I think I started to be okay with the idea of treatment. And honestly, I had been home or, like, not in L.A. for, like, 48, 72 hours. And it was just such a fucking relief. Mm. Like, fucking relief. You know, not to worry about how I'm going to eat, how I'm going to get high. Um, you know, should I kill myself? And so I just went home and I 
Brooks came over like a day or two later for Thanksgiving and he talked to me, you know, told me like his bridge house experience, what it was like in treatment. Um, and, um, I remember I really tried to milk it. I stole Adderall from my mom and my little brother, um, and, uh, stole probably like over the course of three days, a gallon of Bacardi out of the pantry. And, um, uh, just, just to function, you know, um, and then my mom was like, you know, came to me in tears and she was like, if you want to go back to LA, I'll send you to LA, but you cannot stay here. If you want to get into treatment, I will do everything I can to help you get into treatment, but I cannot pay for treatment. And I was like, I don't want to go back to LA. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, Bridge House Grace House is a state-funded treatment facility. You don't have to pay for it. And that's, I mean, it's absurd in America. Like, you know, like you just, those things don't exist. Like, It's so crazy. Like the the amount of money that people throw away because it's going like to treatment, going to treatment, yeah, like tens of tens of thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. and it's and, all AA in the end. Yeah, like, and the thing is, it's like the, the statistics are like on average like seven trips to treatment before somebody gets sober. Right. So imagine all the money that just is like. <laughs> Well, you got to start throwing thousands at it now at some yeah. point. <laughs> Hopefully you're on the lower end of that like statistic. For real. You know? Yeah, Bridge House, I mean, that was like lifesaver for me. I wouldn't have been able to afford treatment. Yeah, yeah. for real. Um, and so, you know, um, I, I printed out the application and I called Brooks and had him help me answer some of the questions because, I mean... I'll never forget filling out that application. They ask you, like, you know, how much money you've spent on your addiction. And and so, like, there's a lot of math involved. And, like, um, and I just remember, like, mind blown at, like, how much money and how much time and, like, how long this had really been going on for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I submitted the application, and the next morning they called and they said, great, can you be here tomorrow morning? And I said, yeah. And then I called Brooks and he was like, okay, cool, that's good. And I told my mom and she was like, great, I'll drive you over there tomorrow morning. And we thought it was just gonna be like, they'd they'd interview me to decide if I could go or not. And Brooks was like, all right, well, um, you better get packed today. And I was like, wait, what? And he was like, you're going for intake, right? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) So I called him back and they were like, oh yeah, plan to, you're coming to treatment tomorrow. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I told my mom and I was like, no, tomorrow's like, they take me. And too soon. Yeah. And my mom was like, good. Well, that's what it is then. And I remember she had to work that day. And so I was at home by myself with my cat. And I just like, again, it was, I just, I literally cried for like, 12 hours straight like mm. bawling crying like no matter what I did like I'd try and get up and walk around or I'd try to play something on my guitar I'd play with my cat and I was just like you know I was so attached to my cat my cat was just like the reason I was alive and I couldn't bear the thought of separating from Julio I'll cry thinking about oh. it <laughs> But I did. Um, I went to treatment. That was the best decision 
that I've ever made in my entire life. Um, I stayed for eight months. Grace House is um, exactly its name, like that I was given grace. Um, uh, you know, I the way treatment was set up then is I went to, um, they had two locations, the Delachey and the Camp Street location. So I went to the Delachey location, which is the women, in, or like pregnant women, mm-hmm. um, or women with children. So they, they tried to like speed up your release date there. It was a little more intimate, one-on-one, smaller house. Um, they also sent girls that, I guess, like first time in treatment or, um, cause it was a little less shocking, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so I went there and I stayed there my first month and I'll never forget the first night at dinner. Um, it was fucking delicious. It was red beans and rice and green beans. Um, it's been a Monday. Uh, yeah, no, it was a Friday. It was <laughs> oh. a Friday. Um, or no, you're right. It was jambalaya cause it was Friday. Um, and, uh, and I didn't even fucking know these women, but we laughed so fucking hard, like to crying, like your cheeks hurt. The back <laughs> of your head is like vibrating, you know? Um, <laughs> and it was just like fucking summer camp. Like I didn't have to worry about rent. I didn't have to worry about Kenny coming to kill me. I didn't have to worry about getting high. Like I didn't have to worry about anything. And I, I hadn't been able to not worry about anything in ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, it was, it's the vocational program at Bridge House Grace House, which I just don't understand how any other treatment could work. That's just me. Yeah. It worked for me though. Um, where it's like, you know, you work since it is for you work to stay there. Yeah. So you get put to work, whether you're working in the kitchen or the front desk or they have the thrift stores or the warehouse. Um, and then it's very intense, you know, one-on-one, you have counselors, you have one-on-one sessions with your counselor. You have a treatment program you set up with your counselor. Um, you're, they introduce you to AA and encourage AA. And, you know, I was taught to get a sponsor. And when you're in treatment, you go to AA meetings every night. And, um, you know, all of this stuff was just given to me, just shoveled down my throat, you know, and, uh, and for me, that's what I needed. I needed the rest of the world to just go to bed. Like I had, I had to have that focus and that, um, quietness. Um, and, um, yeah, man, I learned so much about myself in treatment. Um, I stayed there for eight months, um, and you were inpatient for eight months? Inpatient for eight months. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's more than the, nor- than the usual. It's normally about five or six, yeah. I think. I was total eight months. But like I was inpatient you split six. It? Oh. I was inpatient six. Oh, they did an outpatient at that time? Well, it was kind of like, yeah. So they we had like a, we had an independent living house. So I guess that was technically still inpatient. But then after that, after independent living, you'd, you'd go live somewhere else. But I still lived in their, like, their version of an Oxford-type house Okay. for the last two months of it. So I was there eight months. But, yeah. then, but then, like, so I'd gone for three months, left, relapsed, stayed out for a month, and then, and then was back in for that total of the other eight months. So it was like a year... I felt like a whole year of my life. Yeah. But like, 
and and I'd have moments where I'd go like, God damn, I am just wasting time. But then like, you know, you know, better sense would come. And like now I look at it and I go, man, that was the best invested time right. of my life. Not wasted. You know, like it was like. Totally. Yeah. Totally. That, and that that's one of, you know, one of the most beautiful things I've, I feel like, you know, is I never lost um, my dream or my passions through that whole experience. Like I still, um, am put, you know, like I'm in acting classes and, um, I, that's still my push. That's what I want to do. Um, so, um, they never discouraged that either. You know, they were never like, "Mm, that's going to be a lot of pressure. I don't think you can handle that. Like they just gave me the tools to handle it. Like, you know, um, I, I got the acceptance that this is a disease that I have. This this is a sickness. The first time I heard that, that like in some AA reading, um, you know, a month or two into treatment, I heard somebody say like, this is a sickness. And it was just like a fucking light bulb went off. I was like, oh my God, like I don't have to carry this shame and guilt mm. around because these weren't my choices. Like I know me and I wouldn't have done those things. Like, I wouldn't have hurt everybody that way. Like, you know, it really was something like beyond my control. Mm-hmm. My God, I'm so <laughs> emotional tonight. That's okay. That makes for a better pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and it really, you know, and it was something beyond my control that restored me to sanity. Like I found a faith in a higher power and, um, and I owe so much to my higher power. Um, and I remember one, one of the prayers in the, the big book is thy will be done, not mine. And that was another like light bulb moment for me. I was just like, holy shit. Like, how have I been living so selfishly? Like, it's so simple. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's how I want to live. Thy will be done, not mine. Um, cause my will gets me in a lot of trouble, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I stayed eight months. I graduated. I, I had a sponsor. Um, I moved into an Oxford house. That was another really big, um, necessary stepping stone in my recovery. Um, eight months is a long time in treatment, but it's still not enough for me to, um, hold myself accountable. I believe if I would have moved into my own apartment, I could have very easily oh. relapsed. Um, cause I'm good at talking myself into stuff, um, or rationalizing things. Um, making excuses, you know? Yeah. Um, but I lived in a home with nine other recovering women and we hold each other accountable and it's autonomous and we run our own house. There's no counselor or anybody there, you know? Um, and I got, I got a job at a vet and, um, I had a lot of responsibility at that job and, um, I really had to learn how to set boundaries for myself. Um, how to speak up for myself, um, how to know what's too much, um, for me to handle. Um, it's your first sober job. Yeah. It was my first like real job in yeah. a, in a long time. But like the first time you're ever sober working. Oh yeah. Job, first too. time ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's so hard. Like yeah. to like, yeah. It's because I feel like jobs are the, for me, like I just get so resentful at work. Yeah. And I remember my first job, I worked at a grocery store. <laughs> like I was, in, I was in produce and I just stacked fruit. And I took so much pride in how I stacked the fruit. 
but like I would catch these resentments to the to this one guy in particular, and I could not get over it, and it would eat my lunch, and I and I don't remember ever being like 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 this whole new side of me that I didn't know was actually there because I was always just like stuffing it down, yeah, yeah, you know, it was coming out of me, and I was like, I didn't know that I was this angry, yeah. <laughs> you know, and my job like. It brought it out of me it was so crazy oh yeah i definitely yeah. had those experiences too <laughs> for sure um and and so and another thing is like in treatment um you know i w- i was warned about um you know they'll they'll put you on a lot of drugs like you got to speak up if you don't want to be on drugs like you know like there's a lot of gabapentin and antidepressants and different mm-hmm. stuff like that i mean they have psychiatrists and stuff and i remember asking to go to to the psychiatrist when I was in treatment um, because I had done antidepressants before. They'd never worked. I'd never taken them properly either. So um, so it actually wasn't until I got out of treatment. I was I was living in Oxford. I was working my job at the vet and I, I kept running into panic attacks and just anxiety like through the fucking roof and I was breaking down and I had a therapist that I saw outside of treatment um, just like a regular old therapist out in the world. And so I, I would like, I remember calling her on my lunch break, like bawling, like shaking. And she was like, what's going, like, it's okay. We are going to get you in to see, I have a friend that's a psychiatrist. And so I went to this psychiatrist and, um, you know, she prescribed me, uh, Zoloft, which was the first time I'd ever been on that one. And that worked wonders for me. Like, Mm. Um, I'd never had an antidepressant work and it really, um, it just made, (laughs) it was like I was working against the grain for so long and then this just took the grain away and it was like, ah, it doesn't have to be that difficult. And I actually, you know, I feel like I got what I needed from him and I'm at a place now where I'm actually no longer on them. So, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I think, I think they're a great thing, you know? Um, um, it was definitely, you know, a necessary thing for me. Otherwise I feel like I could have very well just kept having panic attacks until I wasn't able to deal with them anymore and relapse, you know, who knows. But, um, so yeah, I lived in sober living for two and a half years, which is a very long time. That is, yeah. Um, um, my dad died last year and... I was in sober living and I think that was just a huge blessing, um, um, you know, to make it through that whole experience sober. My mom, my stepdad divorced last year and my mom went down a very similar road of like, um, you know, coming to the realization of this like narcissist that has been so emotionally abusive over so many, they were married like 21 years and, um, just coming face to face with that is so debilitating and shocking and um I, she was in a really dark place but um I could not be more grateful for the tools the program has given me and where I am now in my life that I could have been there yeah. for her like not only just you know as a as her daughter you know like with like I don't want to say responsibilities, but like, you know, like she cared for me and now I care for her, but it was more than that. You know, like I could relate to her. Yeah. You could share your experience. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. With your mom. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, that was really, really cool blessing. Um, and now I'm, I'm living in 
an apartment with a, a friend who's also sober and uh I've got two cats that I've rescued since moving here. My mom actually has Julio now, so oh. Julio's like the life-saving <laughs> cat for her now. It's Julia? Julio. Oh, Julio, okay. Like Julio Jones. Yeah. I know I'll get beat up for that. <laughs> um, Is that who you named him after? Yeah. Julio Jones, all right, yeah. cool. <laughs> the football player. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very athletic cat. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that okay and so now and i'm i'm working at grace house um full time so that's like just a really cool experience to come for full circle and you know i relate to all of the girls in there mm. you know um and like i said i'm in acting classes you know i'm still pursuing my passion um you know t- this year's been fucking nuts with covid and everything but it's it's also just been one of the best years for me i feel like i've you know not only have i like gotten off of antidepressants but i'm exercise like we were talking about <laughs> earlier I'm exercising right i've changed my diet um, i just feel a lot better overall i feel yeah. more confident i'm still you know pushing on my spiritual journey um i've got a sponsor I got a new sponsor um, at the end of last year, and she's been absolutely incredible and has really opened my eyes up to a whole new world of possibilities. You know, we, we talk about, like, consciousness and quantum physics and oh, all nice. kinds of stuff. So um, that's been really, really interesting. And um, I've got sponsees, man, and that's definitely what keeps it all going, you know, being able to give back, um, being of service to somebody else. Um Cause it's definitely not all about me, but I like to make it that way. So having other people yeah, to help levels it out. Yeah. And working in treatment is interesting too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, like when you're talking about like, like being in treatment and having those moments of like laughter and like, I had some like some of the most like, it was just, I, I guess the word would be, um, cathartic is that the word yeah yeah where like i hadn't laughed for so long i hadn't felt close to anybody for so long i hadn't like it's childlike con- oh, like it was it was just such an incredible experience for me and you know and it reminds me and i've probably mentioned this before but it reminds me of that idea that like uh the 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 opposite of addiction isn't sobriety necessarily necessarily it's connection Fiction, yeah yeah totally and like and it's true and that's what's great about like like the rooms 12-step recovery rooms because you you develop like connection with people on a whole different level that you've never experienced before you start talking about silly things like consciousness and (laughs) (laughs) and like yeah yeah. and so it's it's amazing man uh what an amazing story i went Uh, on yeah like talking about that like i went on one of the um the recovery retreats the big easy retreat i Uh think um or it was like a little camping like weekend thing and i mean like i I only knew like two of the girls i lived in oxford with and so we were like yeah we're gonna go i mean i knew people from the meetings but i hadn't really hung out with anybody except Mm -hmm. for the two girls i lived with um but we went and it was just i mean it was the best fucking weekend like Mm -hmm. again laughing like that like so fucking hard like and i mean we didn't have drugs or alcohol. Yeah. We had um, fucking Cards Against Humanity and a fire and 
tea and hot chocolate and it was just like i mean i wish every weekend was that weekend wow and it's it, it really is one of those absurd things you think of like you go you really do think you're never going to have fun again. You really do yeah. think that you cannot have fun without the substance because, and, and I, you really, you have the best times of your life. That's yeah. not, you don't, ju- we're not just saying that, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like reality and it's so crazy and it's so insane. And like, and hearing somebody else tell the same story to me is always inspirational and it reminds me. Yeah. Oh, so thank you so much. A little friend crawling oh by you. God. Oh, you got him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, this is like flies and roaches. Look how, this is great. It's right? New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Sadie, thank you so much for coming. Thank uh, you, you, dude. You're, this this is was great. Awesome. This is our first time ever talking for real. For so. real, for real. Yeah. yeah. Well, it awesome. Was, it was amazing. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, my God.